I'm Pastor Darrell Curtis, and you're listening to my 73rd Sermon on the Biblical Design of Gender, in which my point is that relationships between men and women are a microcosm of the relationship between man and God. It is impossible for either men or women to be both promiscuous and godly. The following is a presentation of the Family Life Baptist Church in Lansing, Michigan. For more audio and video content, please visit FamilyLifeBC.com. Good morning on this uh, first day of the month of May. Our lesson for this morning is the 73rd part in our sermon series on the biblical design of gender, and our text for this morning is in the book of Hosea, chapter 1, verse 2, and in it the Bible says this, when the Lord began to speak by Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, go, take yourself a wife of harlotry and children of harlotry, for the land has committed great harlotry by departing from the Lord. God bless the reading of his word and let us bow our heads in a word of prayer. Gracious God, our Father, we thank you afresh for the total sufficiency of Jesus Christ, for the perfect teaching ministry of your blessed Holy Spirit, and for his ability to explain your word. So, Lord, give us the words to say, and let us say them with liberty, with clarity, and with boldness, and that somebody listening might believe the report. Thanking you in advance for all that you are going to do in the strong and perfect name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Now, thank you very much for coming to hear our message for this morning. And before we begin this, our next lesson, let us reiterate our reason for attending church. We attend church to obtain the mind of Christ, meaning to have the Bible illuminated in our minds so that we can clearly understand the principles that Jesus taught and base our daily personal decisions on those principles. We come to church because we want to be obedient to the Bible, which is the doctrine of Jesus Christ in an informed, insightful, and intelligent manner. And our takeaway point in this series on the biblical design of gender is that God has designed man as the cooperative coalition of husband and wife so that man can successfully achieve the objective that God has given us to exercise dominion over the earth, developing wisdom and knowledge in preparation for further responsibility in our eternal life. Now, before Easter, we were discussing the fact that idolatry is not really a big problem for us in this country. Idol gods such as Baal or Ashtoreth are not being worshipped here, while there are churches of all sizes in every neighborhood, all of whom worship Jesus Christ to one degree or another. So what is the point of spending this time on idolatry? Well, although few people in our country worship Baal, many have no allegiance to God. Biblical idolatry is analogous to our adulterous, unfaithful loss of relationship with God, who told the Israelites in Exodus chapter 20, verse 2, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. 
Now, should you choose to take the time to review the history of Israel and Judah, you will find that the prosperity of those two nations is directly proportional to the intensity of their relationships with God. For example, we read a letter that Elijah sent posthumously to the son of the good king Jehoshaphat, the evil king Jehoram, who forsook God and led Judah into the worship of idols. Second Chronicles 21, 12 through 15 tells us, and a letter came to Jehoram from Elijah the prophet saying, thus says the Lord God of your father David, because you have not walked in the ways of Jehoshaphat your father, or in the ways of Asa king of Judah, but have walked in the ways of the kings of Israel and have made Judah and the inhabitants of Israel to play the harlot like the harlotry of the house of Ahab and also have killed your brothers, those of your father's household, who were better than yourself. Behold, the Lord will strike your people with a serious affliction, your children, your wives, and all your possessions, and you will become very sick with the disease of your intestines until your intestines come out by reason of the sickness day by day. Jehoram had two good examples of the benefit of worshiping God in the reigns of his father Jehoshaphat and his grandfather Asa, and God expected better of Jehoram than idolatry. But it is most interesting to us that God referred to the idolatry of Jehoram as harlotry. God is looking for a relationship with man that is analogous to the relationship that man has with his wife. Revelation 21, 9 through 11 and 24 through 27 tells us, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day, there shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it, but there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Now, nothing enters the city that the Lord Jesus Christ calls the bride is allowed to defile the city because the Lord demands glory and honor from those that are part of his bride. And this analogy of the bride is not a new analogy. God used the analogy of the bride in the negative as he talked to the prophet Hosea in Hosea chapter 1 verse 2. When the Lord began to speak by Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take yourself a wife of harlotry and children of harlotry, 
for the land has committed great harlotry by departing from the Lord. So Hosea followed God's instructions and married Gomer, the harlot who bore him three children, and then went back to her life of casual sex outside of wedlock, which is that which the Bible calls harlotry. Now, many people in our society don't appreciate the analogy between sexual unfaithfulness and idolatry because they don't understand the big deal about sex out of wedlock. This is generally true because they are devotees of the unisex theory that men and women are basically the same other than some genital modifications. But the unisex theory is not true. Women and men are designed to be functionally different, not just physically different. Women are specifically designed to bring children into the world. That task requires some special physical and emotional requirements. First of all, when God compared the size of the birth canal in the woman to the size that the human head needs to be to handle the cranial capacity needed for language and cognitive skills, he recognized that human babies have to be born with their language and cognitive skills undeveloped, or the birth experience itself would kill the mother, as it often did before the development of cesarean section birth. So God designed infants to be born without cognitive ability, and women to not just handle the physical requirements of birth, but also the requirements of caring for an infant without cognitive ability. A human infant with an undeveloped brain cannot care for himself in any way, thus the mother is designed to care for the infant. God went so far in designing the mother for this responsibility that that which an infant needs to receive nourishment is physically attached to her. The motivation to care for the infant is attached to the mother through her endocrine system. Women are emotionally bonded to whomever passes through her birth canal, meaning, according to God's plan, her husband and her child. This physical bond is part of God's design, but like everything else in God's design, it can be overridden by the will of the individual. So God gives us commandments to reinforce his design. Deuteronomy 22, 13 and 14 tells us, if a man takes a wife and goes into her and detests her and charges her with shameful conduct and brings a bad name on her and says, I took this woman, and when I came to her, I found that she was not a virgin. But if the thing is true, and evidences of virginity are not found for the young woman, then they shall bring out the young woman to the door of her father's house, and the men of her city shall stone her to death with stones, because she had done a disgraceful thing in Israel to play the harlot in her father's house. So you shall put away the evil, from among you. God commands on pain of death that women marry as virgins, 
meaning that women are not to let any man access their birth canal sexually before they marry. Then God says in Deuteronomy 22 and 22, if a man is found lying with a woman married to an husband, then both of them shall die, the man that lay with the woman and the woman, so you shall put away the evil from Israel. Thus, once a virgin woman marries, she is then to be sexually faithful to her husband. And God is specific about this admonition, specifically as it pertains to the men that are going to offer sacrifices to him. God gives Moses specific instructions for the priests to keep them holy in Leviticus chapter 21, verse 1, 6, and 7. And the Lord said to Moses, Speak to the priests, the sons of Aaron, and say to them, They shall be holy to their God, and not profane the name of their God, for they offer offerings of the Lord made by fire, and the bread of their God, therefore they shall be holy. They shall not take a wife who is a harlot or a defiled woman, nor, they, nor shall they take a woman divorced from her husband, for the priest is holy to his God. Now God shows his requirement for female chastity when he notes that the priest, the man that God has designated to interact with him, is to have an undefiled virgin as his wife. The priest and his wife become one flesh by marriage. Thus a man joining himself with a defiled woman becomes defiled. But there is no such reciprocal requirement that men bring virginity to the marriage bed because men and women are different by design. God goes so far as to even espouse polygamy for men by making rules for it. Deuteronomy 21, 15 through 17 tells us, if a man has two wives, one loved and the other unloved, and they have borne him children, both the loved and the unloved, and if the firstborn son is of her who is unloved, then it shall be on the day he bequeaths his possessions to his sons that he must not bestow firstborn status on the son of the loved wife in preference to the son of the unloved, the true firstborn. But he shall acknowledge the son of the unloved wife as the firstborn by giving him a double portion of all that he has, for he is the beginning of his strength. The right of the firstborn is his. The law of Moses does not condemn a man for having two wives. The law even spells out the manner in which the resources of a man with multiple wives should be divided among his children. Israel, who was also known as Jacob and is the progenitor of the 12 tribes of Israel, had four wives. Before David sinned with Bathsheba, David had both wives and concubines, as 2 Samuel 13 says, and David took more concubines than wives from Jerusalem after he had come from Hebron. Also more sons and daughters were born to David. In the Mosaic law, God did not allow men to be promiscuous, but God did allow men to enjoy sexual variety responsibly. God finds promiscuity irresponsible 
Thus, God did not allow either fornication or adultery, but God did allow men to have more than one woman as long as the man took responsibility for his additional woman by marrying her. So the biblical difference in the rules for men and women tells us that unisex is not a biblical concept. And it has only become recently since the unisex idea became popular that men other than doctors took part in the birth experience. Husbands rarely accompanied their wives into birthing suites as the general convention was that mothers help their daughters with the birth experience rather than husbands helping their wives with it. By God's design, men do not have the bonding hormones or the birth canal that stimulates the flow of the hormones, as do women. And a man's contribution to childbirth does not bond a man to either a woman or a child in the way that the contribution of the woman bonds her to a man and a child. Men do not bond hormonally with women. Men develop relationships with women volitionally, meaning by choice. So God's rules for men and women are different because men and women are designed differently. The episode is recorded in 2 Samuel 13 of David's son Amnon who saw the lovely form of his half-sister Tamar and desired her. Amnon's friend Jonadab commended, or recommended rather, that Amnon feign illness and ask his father David to send Tamar to his chamber to prepare a special meal. And then, when they were alone, Amnon could persuade Tamar to fulfill his desire. 2 Samuel 13, 11-14 tells us, now when Tamar had brought cakes to Amnon to eat, he took a hold of her and said to her, Come lie with me, my sister. But Tamar answered him, No, my brother, do not force me, for no such thing should be done in Israel. Do not do this disgraceful thing. And I, where could I take my shame? And as for you, you would be like one of the fools in Israel. Now, therefore, please speak to the king for he will not withhold me from you. However, Amnon would not heed her voice, and being stronger than she, he forced her and lay with her. Now once the sex act was consummated, Amnon did not bond with Tamar, but rather no longer wanted her. 2 Samuel 13, 15-17 tells us, Then Amnon hated her exceedingly, so that the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love with which he had loved her. And Amnon said to her, Arise, be gone. So she said to him, No, indeed, this evil of sending me away is worse than the other that you did to me. But he would not listen to her. Then he called his servant who attended him and said, Here, put this woman out, away from me, and bolt the door behind her. Men do not have the bonding hormones that women have. A man's contribution to the relationship with a woman that leads to conception and birth is volitional rather than hormonal. 
Thus God commands men to bond with women by making a commitment to the woman with whom the wish they wish to interact sexually before the sex act because, as Amnon clarifies to us, after the sex act, the man may not desire the woman as he did before the sex act. Tamar was defiled through no fault of her own. And even though she was avenged by her brother Absalom, her status as a defiled woman was unfairly thrust upon her. But a harlot is a woman that volunteers to be defiled for a consideration. In Bible days, that consideration was generally financial. But in our generation, intelligence quotients among women have fallen to the point in which they think that voluntary, unpaid harlotry is a good thing. Of course, our society promotes voluntary, unpaid harlotry. I was reading about one of the most popular evening television programs of the period from 1994 to 2004, a program called Friends, the plot of which was voluntary, unpaid harlotry. In this particular episode, Joey is talking to Phoebe, one of his female friends. Joey said, let me get this straight. He got you to beg to sleep with him. Then he got you to say that he never has to call you again. And he got you thinking that this is a great idea? Phoebe replied weakly, uh-huh. Joey said, this man is my God. But Joey thought to himself, boy, our girl's stupid. And this type of harlotry is exactly what develops when nations turn away from God. Ezekiel 16, 33 and 34 tells us of both the harlotry of Israel and of promiscuous young women in our society. Men made payments to all harlots, but you made your payments to all your lovers and hired them to come to you from all around for your harlotry. You are the opposite of other women in your harlotry, for no one solicited you to be a harlot, in that you gave payment, but no payment was given you. Therefore, you are the opposite. Thus, in our society, we are going down the path of idolatry fostered by Israel. Single men used to have this sex out of wedlock situation under control. There were women that would accommodate a single man that wanted to have casual sex with no commitment. Those, men were, those women were known as prostitutes or whores. A whore provided a turnkey service. She provided the shield or the condom to avoid sexually transmitted diseases. She took care of her own birth control in case of a shield malfunction, and she took responsibility for any problems she might have after the act. A whore provided a turnkey service of which she was paid, just like Burger King. You don't take utensils or napkins when you go to Burger King because Burger King provides those things. Of course, 
when a single man reached the point of maturity in which he was ready to get married and have a family, he was not interested in a whore. At that point, the young man looked for a young woman that was a virgin because she was going to actually belong to the young man for the rest of his life. And he wanted a wife that was just his, not someone who had been around the block a few times. And it's a well-known fact that you can't turn a whore into a housewife. That is that which the episode of Hosea tells us. But the problem in this generation is that young whores, like Ezekiel's prophecy to the nation of Israel, don't actually understand how the situation is supposed to function. That's why Maury Povich is still making programs. First of all, a young horse should know that she should demand payment for her services up front because she is going to have expenses as a function of her whoredom. She's going to need birth control and medical checkups. Not only that, but she's going to have a lot of expenses if she gets pregnant because when a young whore gets pregnant, the man does not want to hear from her. Burger King doesn't call customers on the telephone once they've left the restaurant to ask them to pay the mortgage on the building. And nothing could be more ridiculous than an unpaid whore expecting a young man to step up to the plate. What plate? When I go to Burger King, I don't want to buy the place. I just want a hamburger. The guy that had sex with you didn't actually want you. He just wanted to have a sexual orgasm inside of a woman. Any woman would do. You just happen to be the whore available. He may have complimented you for being the most attractive one in the room at the time, but don't be flattered. Men will say a lot of things to get access to a whore for free. And as far as the young man is concerned, a whore is a businesswoman. And an unpaid whore is not even a good businesswoman because she doesn't even have sense enough to get her money up front. So why on earth would the guy step up to the plate with an unpaid whore when she gets pregnant? Did he ask her for a baby? Of course not. He asked her for sex, not a baby. Like buying a hamburger at Burger King, Horace sex is a cash and carry transaction. The young man does not want to see a bill after he leaves the counter at Burger King or from a whore. The whore is the one providing the service. The risk and responsibility for whatever happens after the sex act are hers. If someone slips and falls outside of Burger King, they don't sue me because I was a customer. They sue the one that owns the place. And Miss Unpaid Whore, please don't be surprised or disappointed when the young man with whom you slept and may even have become pregnant marries someone else. It is intuitively obvious that he is going to marry someone else. As I said before, it is a well-known fact that you can't turn a whore into a housewife. As I said, that's what the episode of Hosea and Gomer is all about. And just look at it from his point of view. If you will have sex with him, 
although you are not married to him, wouldn't you also have sex with some other guy to whom you are not married? So then why would he marry you? Just to be screwed around on later? Like Gomer screwed around on Hosea? And that's why you can't turn a whore into a housewife. Any woman that would sleep with one man to whom she is not married would sleep with any man. That's what whores do. And that is the message of the book of Hosea. So Miss Unpaid Whore realized that once you take on the duties of a whore, you decrease your chances that a man would really consider you as a candidate for a housewife. As far as most men are concerned, a woman that he can meet at a club or take to dinner a couple of times and talk into having sex is not the same thing as a wife. Ever heard the term booty call? So get your money up front and don't call when you get pregnant. Either that or keep your legs closed. The real solution is to stay a virgin and become a housewife. Now for all you young girls, Nobody in your high school sex education class is going to tell you this. They're going to try to fill you full of bull about having sex whenever you feel ready. But girls that feel ready before their wedding night become whores. And that boy that wants to have sex with you doesn't love you, regardless of that which he says. As far as an unmarried young man is concerned, his love for you will last about as long as the sex act itself, and then it's back to basketball and video games. He knows that he has plenty of time to fall in love with a real woman when he is older, and he is too busy playing around now to settle down. Don't believe me? Tell him that you won't have sex until your wedding night and see how much love he is in. Or ask Gomer. Now the relationship between men and women is a microcosm of the relationship between mankind and God. It is impossible to be both promiscuous and godly because God does not endorse the promiscuity of either men or women. God designed marriage for men and women, as he said shortly after the creation of the woman in Genesis 2.24, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. In God's plan, the primary and most godly human relationship available is that of man and wife. That is the relationship through which the prime directive to be fruitful and multiply is executed, and that is the relationship through which Jesus' new commandment can primarily be carried out. Jesus tells us in John 13, 34, and 35, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. 
And Jesus tells us through the pen of the apostle Paul in Ephesians 5:25, husbands love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Thus marriage is the primary and most important relationship by which we can fulfill the prime directive of both God to increase and multiply and Jesus Christ to love one another as he has loved us. The joining of our bodies in sexual union is not designed to be a recreational activity between uncommitted partners, but rather an activity of great spiritual commitment and significance. Ephesians 5, 28-31 tells us, So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. The oneness of man and wife in sexual union is a direct parallel to the oneness of Christ and the church. Promiscuity is the purview of idolaters as God told Hosea in Hosea chapter 4, verse 11 and 12, harlotry, wine, and new wine enslave the heart. My people ask counsel from their wooden idols, and their staff informs them. For the spirit of harlotry has caused them to stray, and they have played the harlot against their God. And it is time for us to straighten up our act. God prophesied to Israel through Hosea in Hosea chapter 4, verse 1 through 10. Hear the word of the Lord, you children of Israel, for the Lord brings a charge against the inhabitants of the land. There is no truth or mercy or knowledge of God in the land. By swearing and lying, killing and stealing and committing adultery, they break all restraint with bloodshed upon bloodshed. Therefore, the land will mourn, and everyone who dwells there will waste away with the beast of the field and the birds of the air. Even the fish of the sea will be taken away. Now let no man contend or rebuke another, for your people are like those who contend with the priest. Therefore you shall stumble in the day. The prophet shall also stumble with you in the night, and I will destroy your mother. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I will also reject you from being priests for me because you have forgotten the law of your God. I will also forget your children. The more they increased, the more they sinned against me. I will change their glory into shame. They eat up the sin of my people. They set their heart on their iniquity. And it shall be like people like priests. So I will punish them for their ways and reward them for their deeds. For they shall eat and not have enough. They shall commit harlotry, 
but not increase because they have ceased obeying the Lord. You may think that our national problems are economic or political, but economic and political problems come to nation because they forsake God. Psalm 33 and 12 tells us, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he has chosen as his own inheritance. And God tells us in John 3, 16 and 17, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. So let us follow God's commandment to believe in his son Jesus Christ and to faithfully love him and one another. And let us use our knowledge of the pitfalls of harlotry to avoid the downfall of the land of Israel who unfaithfully played the harlot and forsook God. And that is our lesson for today. Let us pray. Gracious God, our Father, we thank you this morning for this lesson. And we ask you, Lord, uh, that you would align our minds with your word and help us to remember in our own lives and in our own situations that we ought to follow you, that we ought to know what you say and do what you say. And help us, Lord, to train up our children in the way that they should go. Help us to keep them away from the wicked ways of this world that would lead them down the primrose path to destruction. And help us to teach them that although the wages of sin is death, that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And help us to forsake our sins and then live our lives in the way that you would have us to do so. And now, Lord, we thank you for all that are in the house today. And we ask you that you would give us traveling mercies as we go down from this place and then bring us back once again at the appointed time. And now, Lord, we thank you for all these things. We thank you for your goodness, for your mercy, and for your grace. And most of all, we thank you for your sacrifice on the cross, for rising from the dead on that Sunday morning. Thank you, Lord, in the wonderful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and thank God. Thank you for listening. We hope you were blessed by this presentation. For more audio and video content, please visit FamilyLifeBC.com.